Welcome to On The Hill Podcast. Hi, and we're live. Back on the hill. Back on the hill. So, uh, episode five. Episode five of On The Hill. Got Big E, Little E, and our guest today. Dr. Byron Greenberg. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. Sure. So, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the episodes, but On the Hill essentially is, well, it means several things. One, this is Happy Hill Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, it's an idea my son and I had about starting a podcast, something we can do together. But then, you know, we, we've also had, you know, this is our fifth episode, so we're, we're thankful that you came on. Sure. And um, I think we've already established as far as to our listeners that I'm a retired police officer and... And you're a uh, police officer yourself, but I, also a psychologist. I am. I'm, I'm a clinical psychologist, but my uh, specialty is police and emergency services psychology. So um, I work with uh, I work with first responders, but I have a, a primary interest in uh, in law enforcement, being one myself. Right. So um, where did you grow up? Uh, Dimity County. Uh, really? I didn't yeah, know that. I, yeah, yeah. I was I actually Sutherland. Um, I went to. Uh, uh, private uh, um, uh, Christian Academy up in Richmond. So, but I played football for uh, Midway. Did you really? Yeah, played football out there, and uh, um, you know, made some friends. But then I went away to a boarding academy for my uh, another Christian Academy for my uh, high school. I know that. And huh. um, and then uh, off to Virginia Commonwealth University for my undergrad. Um, up to to Maryland uh, to Johns Hopkins for my first. Uh, master's degree and then out to Loma Linda University Wait, in Loma Linda, California. About John Hopkins? Yeah, Johns Hopkins University. Johns Hopkins, sorry. Yeah, the Johns Hopkins University in, in, in Baltimore. Wow. And uh, yeah, at there, uh, there I was uh, uh, doing uh, some research with uh, um, Dr. Fred B. Mack and it was, uh, I was looking at uh, Amerasians, you know, young folks who uh, came over here from Vietnam who were um, mixed uh, heritage, uh, Asian and American uh, from servicemen who came over in the uh, 1987 Homecoming Act and some of the, the concerns that they were having acculturating. And so it was doing this multicultural stuff and then was uh, tasked by the dean of my department to sit on the mayor of Baltimore's council on Hispanic affairs because I was doing multicultural <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so... Uh, I developed a, a, a real interest in uh, multicultural uh, issues, and so that ended up uh, uh, translating into an interest in um, in working in academia, but also in keeping my practice going, working with uh, law enforcement and, and seeing it as its own culture um, and looking at the, the cultural aspects of first responders and the world that they live in. Because what, what is culture? It, it's yeah. a set of beliefs, practices, and values that are passed down from one generation to the other. Right. And if you think about it, I mean, even in your experience, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're acculturated into the department. Yeah. And I'm sure you had some FTOs who acculturated you well and some yes. that didn't, you yeah. know. Um, and that, that was my, my experience as well. Um, you know, I had people in uh, the law enforcement community who um, who really understood the culture of protecting and serving, and those people had a tremendous influence on me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, really did. So, all right, so I'll see. I'm going to backtrack this. So, sure. So, yeah, I thought you were from like New York State or something. No, no I'm just a country boy. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm, 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 I thought I'm, you were from Wisconsin, man, yeah. out there in the uh, the 
I'm just kidding. I don't no, know. No, anyway. I'm, 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 from, I'm, I'm the guy who eats roadkill, man. I'm from yeah. Dinwiddie County. Well, it makes sense because you live in Dinwiddie, yeah, right? That's, that's right. And that's where you work. So you're – all right, so we'll go back it up a little bit. Sure. So, all right, so I know – so you went to um, VCU. Mm-hmm. Does he go need to a little closer to that mic or is yeah. he good? We're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, we want to make sure we can hear you good because, sure. um, you know, it's important. And we pay a lot of money for these mics. <laughs> right, right, right. That's our biggest right. investment, man. We're so proud of these these microphones. But anyway. Um, and we paid a lot for him to be here today. Yeah, so, yeah right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's evaluating you right now. He's already evaluated me. He can't really talk about that, I guess. But um, well, unless I well, ask. I could, but I'd have to kill everybody if I did. <laughs> we got such a larger audience. You know? <laughs> yeah. Had to hire a hitman. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, so I, I guess what's interesting to me is, so, I, I mean, I know you went over a lot quick, but. Sure. I know that you um so John Johns Hopkins that was for your masters. Yeah, it's my first masters degree. Mm-hmm. And then but then you get your where did you get your PhD? At Loma Linda. It's uh Loma Linda, California. Uh, a lot of people the people who know Loma Linda, um Loma Linda University is uh you'd probably call it the crown jewel of the Seventh-day Adventist healthcare system. Uh, it's a major medical university, hmm. um, you know, training doctors that go all across the world. Wow. But um, but most people know Loma Linda because they did the baby Fay heart transplant out there mm. where they put that baboon heart in that little girl. Um, I don't know if you remember mm. that back in the, in the, I think it was in the 90s. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I do remember yeah, that. Yeah, baby Fay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, all right. That was before me. But yeah. yeah, a little bit before you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so, but I remember, you know, us talking before this and just, we, just as a side note, we've kind of known each other for years anyway. We have. Yeah. So I've, I've met you as a, a client mm-hmm. when the, um, the PD, Petersburg police sent me to you for, uh, I know you probably can't talk about it, but for insubordination. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what you were sent for? Yeah. I was sent for insubordination. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I mean, Dr. Greenberg was like, okay. <laughs> like, what the, you know. So you were, you were forced to. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I welcome all those uh, those cases because sometimes, quite honestly, you know, sometimes people are, uh, they're hitting a rough patch and they're seeping. We call it seeping. You know, you're, you're full. You're full. And in, 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 in this profession, in, in yeah. law enforcement. I think that's true, uh, yeah. You, you can get full. And, and you can seep, you can, uh, and, and the problem is, is that, you know, yeah, you could seep at work, but you, you seep at home, yeah. uh, you know, and, um, and so my, my mission, uh, my purpose, and I know I'm probably getting ahead of us here, but oh, go ahead. My, my purpose is, uh, is to be a servant of those servants yeah. and to, uh, to help people who are, um, who by their very nature, by their very nature and their profession, become the, the, the repositories for memories that nobody wants mm-hmm. right. and then get filled up. Right. And then, um, and so uh, you, you pay a lot of dues. And, and, and I, I, I want to say something, maybe it's not the right time in here, but, you know, I've been to a lot of uh, funerals for officers. And, uh, you know, nothing saddens me more than when those bagpipes play, man. They, mm. Once they put, hit that drone, man, you know, the wells fill up and, uh, and it's sad and it, it's, it's terrible. But what most people are really not aware of and not conscious of is that those officers that went their entire career working in cities like Petersburg and Hopewell and Richmond and that they die the death of a thousand small cuts every single day. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree with that. But there's there's no funeral service for it where we can pause and we can recognize it. Yep. But it's a thousand small cuts every single day. Yeah, because I've got right here written down is something I was, you know, since we're, I mean, we can jump all over the place. Yeah. We don't have to follow any kind of, we don't have a script, but yeah. Yeah, and, and this is by no means a disrespect to what you just said about the police funerals, yeah. but because there they are. But um, two things: one, officers do a great job going to funerals, mm-hmm. but we didn't we don't do too good of a job, and, and really the agencies don't do a great job of helping the officers along the way. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm trying to make? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think and that's what you're saying. If, uh, if it is officers are full of it, this. It yeah. is there. There's in pain. Yeah, yeah thousand yeah. small cuts. And then you don't get, you know, if I, if I hit you with a thousand small razor blades, your, your body wouldn't hold you together anymore. And so what's holding you together. And you know what? And I'm going to tell you this, and and we just had this conversation. The truth of the matter is, is what, what has held, uh, the likes of you together. Right. And, and many of the officers is, uh, is in that other room. Right. Uh, You know, your wife, your wife has held you together when those thousand small cuts hit you in this job. You know, you'd come home and and she would patch you up. And that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really big on the, the, you know, the law enforcement marriage and and supporting that, because that's the biggest support for any uh, officer is their is their family. Um, And so, yeah, the, the departments don't do as good a job. And part of it has to do, in in my opinion, with uh, the fact that. There's so many aspects to officer wellness yeah. that departments get overwhelmed with it. And in, in, in honesty, the relationship that officers have with their departments has gone from a paternal one where you'd go out and you'd have a beer and you'd yeah. talk about problems together mm-hmm. or you'd have a cup of coffee and you'd talk about it to one where it's contractual. And so what happens is, is you got an officer point, who's yeah. having a problem. What do you do? You send him over to the psychologist. Right. But you don't deal with him. You don't sit down and go, hey, Eric, what's going on, man? Yeah. Let's talk to me about it and tell me, you know, about what's going on. And instead, what you do is you send him to the psychologist because you have to protect yourself legally. Right. That's a good point. And yeah. so it separates us from having those types of close relationships where it's paternal. And uh, and I think it, it undermines, you know, our sense of brotherhood. Uh, in any profession, um, in any guild, if you will. Yeah. And I, you know, I was never in law enforcement, but I grew up Around with my dad being yeah. law yeah. enforcement. I knew plenty of, I still know plenty of, of cops too. Yeah. And I, I think on that same token is, you know, where they can go off and talk to each other and talk about what's yeah. going on. But I think pride can get in the way too. Oh, like certainly. Tough guy status and, yeah. Yeah. you know, just, well, there's the Put up a, th- ab- a shield and absolutely just keep on moving. Yeah, and 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 I think that that's one of the reasons why they death died the death of a thousand small cuts is because officers see themselves, firefighters see themselves as the helpers. Mm-hmm. They they they're not the helpies. Mm-hmm. They they help other people, and so when they have a need for help, they're going to either turn to another person in their profession up here. Um, or they'll, you know, lock themselves in their house and come out Monday morning looking right as rain. But really all they've done is, is they've pressed it all down and they have kind of a moratorium on dealing with it. And this is a big burden, in my opinion, uh, for all of us in the, in, who work with officers who are in the mental health field, is when you store up all that stuff, um, you, you retire and you die within five years. Right, yeah. So that's interesting because, you know, and I think this is an accurate count. Out of the 11 people that I know, it's probably more now, but this is the last time I counted, from Petersburg. Yeah. You know, out of 11, I think four left. Yeah. 
You know, yeah. so if seven are dead, either from two or from suicide, mm. that's all other ones are health or, or whatever else. Yeah. You know, so that, that's that's what you're saying is, you know, and, and so really two things. One, it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, it's a surprise to the general public. So that's one reason I really wanted to have you on was sure. to talk about, you know, we'll get into it, PTSD, you know, uh, police uh, suicide, divorce rates, all this. But the other part is, you know, you're carrying all this burden and, and, and more recently in the political uh, venue or, you know, the media, anti-police. Yeah. So everybody's waiting for an officer to do something wrong or make a mistake, let's mm-hmm. say. And they, and they can even nowadays be right. Right. But they've got to prove that they're right. And then by the time it's over, it's, you know, your career is ruined because you've right. been all over social media. Yeah. But even an officer making a mistake or saying a word that's not perfect because everything's videotaped now, mm-hmm. um, it shouldn't it, the average person has no idea what also goes through on a daily basis. Yeah. And and people are still human. So when they do say something or, or whatever, that's a little bit out of what people say is, you know, right. I guess like for somebody like you, it's not really a surprise that it happens. No, no, it's not. And, and you know, it, it, it's the old adage that, you know, a thousand attaboys, but one of shit, it's all done. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the truth is, is that uh, that one of shit, will sell to the public in the media. And so that will get played a thousand times. And then the problem is, and what most people don't understand is this, and that is um, when the media plays something a thousand times, uh, when you watch it a thousand times, your brain does not acknowledge it as a single event. Mm -hmm. It sees it as a thousand separate events. Hmm. And so if I do a survey... If I do a survey of a thousand people, the data of that is very, very trustworthy. And so what happens is, is if I if I do a survey of one person, it's like if I flip a coin one time and it lands heads, you don't think there's anything imbalanced in that coin. Mm-hmm. But if I flip it a thousand times and it comes up ten times head, but all the other times it's tails, you think there's a balance problem in that coin because of the sheer number of times that I flipped it. It should be 50-50. Because right. of the averages. So when they play that thing a thousand times, when you see something a thousand times, your brain considers it as a thousand surveys. Right. And then what you believe about that event, you believe is very your belief is very powerful. It's very trustworthy because you don't realize it's actually not trustworthy because it was a single event that I saw. And it's just a times. snapshot. It's just a snapshot. And so, you know, the, 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 the media understands this. Yeah. Uh, the media understands this. Hey, listen, here's the bottom line. If, if the media did not change the way you see things, why would Coca-Cola spend hundreds of millions of dollars in advertisement if it didn't change the way you bought, change your behavior, change the way you think about things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to be very careful. We're, we're, we're all, uh, you know, we're all experiencing a little hoodwinking yeah. uh, from, from the media. And because the police departments um, become very good high energy, adrenaline pumping data for the media to sell their papers and sell their stuff, they're going to end up showing every officer doing anything that remotely looks wrong. Correct. You know, take it out of context. It it really is. I'll tell you this. um, I I went up uh, to um, the Tribeca Film Festival and I watched the opening of um, this, uh, it was a movie called uh, Cop Block. 
And uh, these guys went around and they 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 did a GoFundMe page yep. and they got a bunch of cameras and then they went into the inner city and they had everybody take their cameras and basically they said, hey, we're gonna make a, a movie mogul out of you. You get us pictures of cops doing bad stuff and we'll mm. put it in our movie. Yeah. And you know what's interesting in that is I watched the entire movie, and no place in that movie, out of all the footage, all the that tens of thousands of hours of footage, yeah, did any officer do anything wrong? Now they the officers cussed a lot, you know, yeah. because because they they'd run up into the middle of a fight and turn the camera on and go, hey, MFR, what are you doing? And then they turn the camera on, the officer would turn around and and you know hit them with a staccato set of words that were pretty ugly to get back because they were feeling threatened. But they you didn't see them do anything wrong, right? And so you know officers and 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 I'll share this with you guys and and what most people do not get. There's 825, about 825,000 sworn law enforcement uh, mm-hmm. professionals in the United States. And, and there's 950,000 doctors, MDs. So just give you a reference. And those 825,000 officers respond to 250 million calls for service each year. Mm-hmm. And there's another 200 million calls for our, our contacts that are reportable, like traffic stops and so forth. So now what we have is we have 825,000 officers doing 450 million, put all those zeros out there, reportable contacts with the public. Yeah. And listen, the public is not calling the police to go, hey, how you guys doing? What are you doing on this Wednesday? That's it's, right. They're calling them because somebody's getting raped, somebody's getting, something's getting stolen, somebody just abused somebody, somebody just shot somebody, and the cops are showing up to that. 250 yeah. million calls for stuff. Yep. Do you know how many people get shot by the cop in a year? I have no idea. Less than a thousand. Wow. About a thousand. Yeah. And of that, about 300 of them are African American. And you would think, based on what the media portrays, because they'll show one bad shooting Mm -hmm. a thousand times, that it was terrible. More, More minorities are shot in Chicago in a few months than they are shot in the entire United States in the entire year by 825,000 law enforcement officers doing 250 million calls for service. But you'd never know that. You'd never know it. Yeah, they act like it's a daily occurrence. They do. And then officers who can't articulate all the stuff that I just shared in, in, in 30 seconds, they're dealing with a public who's just walking up to them absolutely sure that they're being abusive to the community right just harassing them yeah yeah the other part is um exactly so you know um aside from working with a bunch of cops yeah and you've worked with a bunch of cops for you know same you know when when did you start tens of thousands uh 1990 late 94 1995 all right so we started really about the same time yeah i started being a cop in 95 yeah so. so what's the number Tens of thousands? Tens of thousands of officers I've worked with. Yeah, I've, I've debriefed over 7,500 emergency service people following major disasters, major, major stuff. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and um, I mean, that's why we're so glad to have you on. I mean, it's a wealth of information, but the other part is the message you just delivered about these numbers. You know, um, two things. One is, you know, and this sounds mean, but let's just be, let's just be real here. You know, we're not dealing with brain brain surgeons. No, when you talk to cops, because yeah. it's too different. First of all, the personality types wouldn't even fit. But I, I used to say that in the academy when I taught, just kind of you know yeah. to make people laugh. Yeah. But in reality, we're just dealing with you know average people, everyday people. I'm not saying they're not smart, but you know, it's a different kind of person that wants to go out right. there and um, put their lives on the line for total strangers. Yeah. But the other part of it is, 
you know, I can. There's an incident going on now with, with one of my past recruits where, you know, they I'm, I'm not gonna give you any information out, but essentially he's so worried about maintaining this job, mm-hmm. you know, because that's who he is. So a lot of these, a lot of these guys, and I guess I'm just talking from from, from the cops' perspective is, you know, this becomes so important to them that they, they that who that's who they identify as right, because right. you have to, yeah, because if you're not, I mean, how you, you got to take this seriously or how are you going to stay alive? Yep, yeah, you know, so it's not it's a job, but it's also uh, this is a career, not a job, but it's also your life on the line. You know, not just figure, yeah, the figure, cost of the cost of failure is high. Yeah, yeah, either you get killed, get somebody else yep. killed, or you know, have your life ruined or end up in jail. Yep. But anyway, so this guy, I'm watching from the outside, and and I've been through this stuff myself. With you know, with the agency Petersburg, but uh, I'm not saying this is where he works. But essentially, the situation is he can't even see his way through the force only because he wants to maintain his position as a cop. Mm-hmm. And now the administration should be where you're coming from. Right? They should be the they should be the voice of reason, saying, "Hey, hold up for a minute." Of all the things that happen nationwide, and, and they could even have the stats for their own city or county, but generally that's not what happens. Right. I mean, that's the other part about this, and this is what I was going to ask you is, you know, serious as the job is, it's probably the same for the military and firefighters is, it seems like, you know, one minute you could be loved by the whole squad, but then whether it's a psychological breakdown or a, not psychological breakdown, but something happens and you need help, right. you get stigmatized, right. or if you get in trouble and, and maybe you're not really even in trouble, but the media thinks you're in trouble, and now that the administration thinks you're in trouble, everybody else just kind of pulls back. Yeah, they do. What yeah. is that about? Well, <clears throat> you know, that's a, actually it's a part of the culture. It's an unhealthy part of the culture. You know, cultures have healthy and unhealthy aspects to them. And, you know, we, we don't like it when people talk about our culture. It's like they're talking about us personally and, and we, we, you know, them's be fighting words and, and right. so forth, you know. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, we can criticize cop culture because we're cops. Right. And, but, you know, but if you if you out there criticize it, you know, we, we take issue with it because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. And so, you know, we, 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 we take, we have some umbrage there. But um, what happens in law enforcement is if you, if you get in trouble or have the appearance of getting into trouble, uh, everybody moves back from you immediately, and um, <clears throat> and you're you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Yeah. Um, because because here's the deal, and that is, uh, if you're going down, uh, you know, if your ship goes down, it, it, if I ta- attach my ship to it, it'll go down too. Right. And so we back up, and then what happens is is you know you'll get a call from somebody going, hey man, you know, I'm really supporting you. It's like, but they don't talk to you at the water fountain at right. the station, you know, when you're, you know, they're, they're, you know, they'll give you that, you know, and then when you're done, they're like, man, I knew you were okay. Right. Uh, you know, ah, yeah. and, 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 and the truth of the matter is, is this, the cost of failure is high. Uh, you lose your job in this profession and you, you lose your livelihood, you lose your pension. And this is the key. You lose your identity. Yeah, that's the that's the bigger part. Yeah. You lose your identity, and uh, and you know, and it's it becomes who you are. I, I tell I tell the recruits at the academy when I teach there, and I, you know, I do that that law enforcement uh, family night. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and and uh, and so I basically go in uh, just shortly before they graduate, and I basically talk with them about what the law enforcement family is going to be about, and help them to understand where some of the landmines are, so they don't discover them by the loud noise. And um, and then what happens is, is I say, look, you're going to be making changes 
hold on to your non-law enforcement friends. Mm -hmm. It's going to be difficult. Because what happens in law enforcement is, is you start out with, uh, it's us versus them, the yeah. bad guys, all those other people. And then what happens is, is you get in for five years and you look around and you're like, man, I don't even like some of these sons of bitches. That's right. I no doubt. And then what happens is you only have a couple people who you're connected with. Yeah. And, and then you can become very isolated and insular. And listen, everybody needs a tribe. Yeah. Everybody needs a tribe. And in this profession... Everybody who wears blue is in the tribe, in my opinion. And I tell people, listen, I love every single officer. I don't like every single one. Yeah. But I love every single one because that's the commitment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, people will step back from you. Yeah. Um, and then when you redeem yourself, they'll step back in. Do we run out of time? Heck no. That's okay. a timer, man. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we run out of time. My special cookies are ready. Okay. There's on a timer. Awesome. So, <laughs> So that happened to me, but um, I mean, I, that's the reason I was asking. I thought maybe it was just me, but I, I, I um, stepping outside since I've been out of out of law enforcement, you know, I think I left in what uh, fifteen or eighteen, whatever the heck it was. I can't. It's terrible of years. But the point is, the further I'm away from it, even though I, you know, was an instructor, I can see these things playing out and they make more sense to me. Than yeah, they did when I was right in the middle of it. Yeah, but literally, yeah, I sued the city and the chief and all this, but um, I noticed that everybody was that I've known for my entire career just kind of like disappeared. Yeah. Like I see somebody in the parking lot, hey man, what's up? Like they didn't even hear me. I'm like, right. right. Are yeah. you serious, bro? And then later, they're like, hey man, I got you. I'm like, right. No, and I don't have me. Right. Yeah, and that, I think that was the hardest part. Is And that's the other part of this whole thing with this identity is, you know, um, well, two things. One, I see a difference than what it used to be. So I got hired in the 90s. And at that time, they were hiring mostly, you know, ex-military people like right. that. Right. Who had some experience, and I, you know, all I had was you know uh, a college degree. Well, now that seems to have changed, and want to hire more people with degrees. They but, do, but the point is, um, so I was the anomaly then. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, I was showing um, uh, my son some old pictures of us when he was younger. I had like these little round glasses, you know. But I was a cop, man. <laughs> right? Yeah. I had like the little John Lennon. That was the style back then. Yeah. Right. A little yeah. Mustache and stuff. But um, yeah, snidely whiplash. Yeah, I caught hell, man. I caught hell as a new cop because yeah. I wasn't that military yeah. type. Yeah, but you know, porn uh, star mustache, yeah. Yeah. Like Ron Jeremy, head of hair. right? Yeah, Ron Jeremy, man. But yeah. anyway, and now you know, I've seen that switch. You mm -hmm. know, from you know more of an academic mindset, but also what I've noticed more is back in the early or the mid nineties to two thousands. You know, like you said, that tribe people like um, if you worked in Petersburg, you were proud of that stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, you worked, and then we had these other, like, in, in, internal uh, strife with other local agencies. Like, you know, we played tag, you know, uh, flag football and right. stuff or, you know, talk smack to each other. But it was, that was real. That was coming from the heart. Yeah. And people would stay in these agencies. Now these guys jump ship like it's nothing. Yeah. They'll go from one agency to another. And it's not just law enforcement. Like, you know, my wife's a nurse and the same thing. These guys are jumping for money or whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just don't know, you know. If you if you see a difference in not so much the quality of people that, that should be the most educated, but as far as commitment goes, do you see a difference? Well, you know, I, I do a lot of pre-hire evaluations for the agencies yeah. here in South Central Virginia, and so and for those of you who don't know that what that is is it's a psychological evaluation that's uh, performed prior to being hired. Well, it's actually it's they're made a conditional offer, and then if they pass their physical and their psychological, and I do the psychologicals, and so even if you're a sworn officer in another agency, most agencies find it prudent to do that psychological um, to make sure that they have a psych on this person. And, um, you know, 
What I see when I see people now, um, I, I see um, this generation is, yeah, they're going to end up jumping if it benefits them. Right. So if it benefits them, they're going to jump. Now, um, it doesn't mean that they can't hold to their commitments, you know, um, to, to do the right thing for the right reasons. But they understand once you make it a contractual relationship, right. it's now a contract. And now what happens is, is I'm going to negotiate for my best interest in a contract. Right. That's and, true. And yeah. so, you know, now what happens is, is they say to you, I'm writing a contract with you. You've got to give me two years if I pay you while you're going through the academy. Now we're right. contractually related. And so, you know, and I work for a sheriff's department, which is, you know, a little bit different now uh, than, a, than a police department and that you work at the pleasure of the sheriff. Yep. And so, you know, if if. If my sheriff has a problem with me, he'll he'll pull me into his office and he'll he'll bend my ear, and uh, and I listen because uh, he's the man, yeah. and and I have loyalty to that guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it, you get a little bit more of it out there than you do in the PDs, simply because you know again it feels more contractual there. Yeah, I think you know if people don't know, so you know some some like say we, we're in Chesterfield County now, they have a sheriff's office and they have a police department. Yes. But am I allowed to say where you work or not? Where I work? Yeah, yeah sure. Go ahead. Yeah, Dinwiddie. So sure. you know, it's a uh, up and coming community is growing, but at the moment, their 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 primary law enforcement is the sheriff's office. Period. Yes, that's right. We are the police department and and, and, the, and, and the civil process that's right. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the sheriff's an elected official. So the difference is the hire the, the sheriff can hire and fire you at his at his will or that's her, right. at her will. Correct. I work for a sheriff too, Sheriff Crawford. Yep. My absolutely. last two years, so mm-hmm. she literally could have called me in that day and said, "You're fired." Yep. For no, there's <laughs> yeah. no reason. Yeah. You looked at me funny. I don't like the way you, whatever, who knows? Right. Um, and so the relationship becomes the metric, yeah. uh, you know, and, and versus a contract. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, and so it does change a little bit of the culture yeah. within those departments, even though we're a long, you know, we're, we're a, a policing agency. Um, it's set up just a little bit different. Well, yeah. I have a question. Cause I'm outside of sure. all, all realms yeah. of, fire department, police department, military. So we talked about within the police department, if there's a problem, tends people tend to scatter. Yeah. Like, I don't know you, you yeah. do this and that. But and then you just talked about in a single area, you could have a deputy office, then you have the police force, then you have state police yeah. above that. And right. in those levels, are there some... Not just from county to county, because I'm, I'm sure if another right. county rolls up, you're like, ah, oh, you know, they're not Petersburg. Right. 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 There's a little bit of competitiveness there, I think. Um, but but I, I and I and I do think that there's a little bit of jurisdictional, uh, you know, bickering, if you will. But for the most part, like, for instance, in the out in the county, the state cops, you know, we, we work tightly with them. They handle all of our traffic stuff for yeah. us. And mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, you know, a little bit of bickering over who should get what money um, when we're writing those tickets, you know, and there's been some, some a little bit of arguing back and forth, but I won't get into that. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, there's, there, but all of us, you know, we all uh, bleed blue. Yeah. And, and it, all you have to do is go to a, an International Association of Chiefs of Police conference mm-hmm. and, and you, you know, you know, you know, that you're amongst family. Right. Um, even if you don't like them. You're, we're still family, and if somebody rolls up on you, um, you know people are going to run code to get to you yeah. to help you, even if they don't like you. Um, that's just the way that we do it because part of it 
is a part of the culture. It needs to be a part of the culture because, again, the cost of failure is high. Yeah. You know, your lives are at stake here. I just find it ironic, too. It's the same with the military. You hear, yeah. like, in, in the moment, I feel like, like you said, like the herd mm-hmm. mentality. If you're if they're out in the field, you know, there's a certain uh, viewpoint from different different branches of the military, too, like, you know, army might look at the Marines as sure. below them or the air right. force might, or the chair force. Some people call them. Right. Yeah. But, and then, but like you said, at a convention or out in public when you're amongst or non-military or yeah. non-police. Yeah. yeah people, um, people, people, then they group together. Yeah, they do. And so, you know, there's this adage in the middle East and the adage is, um, me and my brother against my cousin, me and my cousin against the world. Yeah, hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's kind of that that you know if you attack the United States, all the military is all united to for you know for one thing. Yeah. And and I think I think in the end, my experience has been, um, you know, you 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 said something very important, Eric. You said you know these are ordinary people. Yeah. And they are. They're ordinary people who have been called to do extraordinary and exceptional things. And what keeps me coming back is I see them doing it over and over again. I see people sacrificing of themselves. Mm -hmm. I see them giving of themselves. And and oftentimes without a pat on the back, uh, you know, doing that right thing, even when nobody's looking. And I see that time and time again. Now, listen, I've seen people goof up really bad. I oh, have. yeah, sure. Um, but again, they're human beings. Yeah. And, and I don't see anybody else stepping up to go do it. That's right. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a group of people. And, and I, I know that some people have said, well, these are power-hungry people. Listen, you've never had as much powerlessness as when you've worked in this position. Yes, you've had opportunities for power and control, but you've equally had as much powerlessness in this profession. So Mm -hmm. people who would sign up to this to be in power all the time would be sorely disappointed in this profession. Sorely disappointed. And and they just just want to get in here at a hot rod and drive 100 miles an hour and wear black suits and do that butt skid across the front of their Camaro (laughs) and look cool and sexy. Truth of the matter is, it's long periods of boredom. Uh, long periods of boredom punctuated by terror. Mm. And um, and it really does cause uh, one to grow up fast yeah. um, in this profession. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this yeah, it, it, that's true. But, you know, um, to go back to what you were saying, so, you know, I mean, not everybody knows this. So, you know, the federal agencies have, you know, nationwide jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the state police have statewide jurisdiction. The sheriffs and police, they only they they have jurisdiction within one mile of their of their city or county. Yeah. One mile outside the, the range. You know, unless it's a serious felony, but any citizen right. can can intervene in a felony. So right. but but for the most part, so you're limited in scope to where you can, you know, practice or, you know, you have that authority. So like, you know, I worked in Petersburg my whole life, but um I uh I lived in Chesterfield. Mm-hmm. So in Chesterfield, I mean I was like a citizen for the most part, unless there was a mm-hmm. felony or something going on. But you know the other part is um, you talking about the state police. So like, it's, it's interesting you brought that up. Is like in, in the sheriff's offices, you know, the state police are, are big, particularly in a big county like Dinwiddie, mm-hmm. where you guys don't have these huge number of deputies. Five hundred and eight square miles. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and then there's sure. you know limited number of deputies, so the state police play a major role. So it, mm-hmm. it, it like you said, it benefits them for them to get along. 
Whereas when I was in Petersburg, and this is no slight to the state police, because I mean, I, there's a lot of great officers. There's a lot of great police officers, and there's a lot of great state troopers. But then there's a lot of not so great officers, and a lot of not so great state police, uh, state troopers. But anyway, the point was, they were mandated one time to come in and help us. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, you know, and they're actually they're in there now. I think helping with the city with the, all the recent shootings and stuff. But anyway, the point was. Some of the troopers wanted to go hands-on and, and really assist, but some of them were like, since they were forced, mm-hmm. they're like, we don't want no parts of this. Right. So give it, a, you know. So there are there are those those kind of conflicts. Yeah. Right. Like I had a guy rob me one night, and um, I said, hey, we we stopped and we're dealing with something, and I said, hey, you've not got a couple of those summonses, I'll do the other set. You know, it's like two or three different people. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't have my summonses with me right now. No, like, dude, I got a whole clipboard for you. There you go. <laughs> oh, we're only allowed to use ours. I'm like. So I knew right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, this can be a long night. Yeah, yeah, this cat. Yeah, this is you know full of you know what. But um, so but I mean, but I, but I think you know to be fair too, Eric, and that is, and again today, and I and I think that the public, any of the public who's watching this, you need to be aware. This is very important, and that is <clears throat> when you place the burden of perfection on imperfect people, and I don't know one perfect person, and you say, listen. Um, you know, you make one mistake, you flub up one time and we'll, we'll, we'll put you in jail. We'll take your house. Um, what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with officers who realize you cannot get in trouble for the stop you do not make. Yeah. That's what, yes. Self-initiation is gone. Right. And then, so what you do is you undermine that initiation of that officer and that officer who, who, who doesn't have that, that initiative is not going to make that traffic stop and find your daughter in that trunk. Yeah. And so, you know, when when that person drives off with them, don't don't be angry at the police yeah. who, who didn't want to get in trouble because they just got told by a city manager that they they can't stop people now. Um, so it, it's yeah. it, it's and the truth is, is this you're damned if you do and you're dead if you don't. Yeah, yeah. that's the double bind that people are put in. Yeah. So what's crazy is like, um, you know, they, I mean, so, you know, this is interesting. So you. The primary reason for a stop, you know, is reasonable suspicion Yes, for a traffic stop, not for an arrest. But anyway, so they, they always had, like, if you get kidnapped and you get put in the trunk, pull the wires out. Right. Tail, Absolutely. Pull the taillights out so they don't work. It might make Reasonable. Awesome. Reasonable. Now I can stop this person. Right. But guess what? Yep. Now, now we don't want to stop anybody for a taillight out because that, that that's harassment. Yeah. We're, so that's gone. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know that or not. But yeah. that yeah. was gone as an as a, as yep. initial initial reason for a stop. And, yep. and, and that could have been, you know, it's like Timothy McVeigh when he was busted, was busted by a regular beat cop. Yep. You know, because of, of taillight or speeding or something. Yep. I mean, all these things lead to something else. But it, it's such a great point. But. You know, you um, and it's not harassment. The bottom line is this: if you're a citizen and you've got a tail light out, and we stop you, we're not harassing you. There's a tail light out, and the tail light is might cause you to be in an accident. Mm-hmm. Person didn't see your tail light, hits you, yeah. spins you around the road. You hit a tree. Now you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Hey, wouldn't it have been nice if that if you would have endured the discomfort of being stopped by the police for a few minutes and them saying, "Hey, get that tail light fixed." Yeah, or. Your daughter's in the trunk, yep. or the guy's a—he uh, has no license, and then there's a, you know a gun. Yeah, or he's you know, or he's headed to your house to rob your house, yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah, or she's I mean, yeah, or she. Thanks. You mm-hmm. don't want to discriminate. Yeah, let's not discriminate against those female burglars. I, so, so <laughs> this is you know, you got any questions on where we are now? No, let's keep flowing. So you know, so um, it's interesting um, talking about you know um, commitment to. So I mean, my kids were raised. You know, they're both. Um, they both went to VCU. Mm-hmm. 
they both were artists at some level. My son was a musician, my daughter a dancer, and, and now at one point they both were teachers. Hmm. So they were committed to, you know, it's kind of, I guess, where they grew up in, you know, mm-hmm. service to others or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not slighting you, but I'm, what I'm saying is you were a teacher for five years. Yep. Mm. And you recently, this is your, you just started a new job as, you know, earning a, or learning a trade. Yep. Mm-hmm. So five years teaching, three years at a elementary school, mm. two years at a junior high school, mm. 13 to 14 year olds. Mm. Um, both uh, under the poverty line, so not mm. not the best area. Yep. And, but I made tons of connections with with kids who maybe didn't grow up with a father or mm-hmm. live with their grandparents. Um, Cause I was few of many teachers that were male and mm-hmm. it's hard to come by. So I made a lot of good relationships and I've also had a lot of moments where you're like, yeah, why am I doing what this? Am I doing? Yeah. So, Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's similar in a way where, but what was it that, you know, I know you've, I've had this conversation, yeah. but what, what was it that kind of said, Hey, I, I need to do something different. Um, it was the, Un- underappreciation yeah. and and then on the money side too I, I mean I could see what I was going to make my 35th year teaching and right. like yeah and it's not all about money but at the same time I'll, no you I, got you have bills to pay every every single teacher in the county and this goes for most counties they get the same pay raise every year mm-hmm. no matter if they're the best teacher in the right. school or the worst teacher right so I never have to ask anything and I always did my best because you know I, I don't like being embarrassed no and I don't like putting out a bad product. Right. So I would go out and do my best. And it just, you're also at the reins of other people most of the time. So for about 20 years, I had a contract with the California Teachers Association. Mm. And I would go out and I'd work with them on this program called Survive and Thrive, which I uh, helped to develop. And um, basically it was taking teachers who were at the point of burnout and um, rejuvenating them and getting them back in the classroom. And these are the things that they Mm -hmm. said, um, which burnt them out. But one of the biggest contributors to burnout is, uh, is role confusion. And that is, what is my job here? What do you want from me? <laughs> right, yeah, a and clear so, definition of what the job right. is. And, right. so, and so what happens is, is when, when they want you to keep discipline yeah, in your That's room, number one. But they don't want you to be a disciplinarian. Then what happens is, is you're put in this double bind. Now I don't know what my role is. Yeah. You want me to be disciplined. You want me to keep discipline, but you don't want me to use discipline to keep discipline. I can't do that. I can't do both. And so then what happens is, is you're now in a double bind and it burns people out. Yeah. And I, I think that this happens in law enforcement as well, yeah. um, because what happens is, is we go out there and we do, we, we enforce the law. Well, this law right here is not popular. Well, lawmakers, legislators haven't changed that law. And so it's not a popular law. Yeah. And so the community is pushing back on people in the leadership of the city. And so they come to you and they say, hey, don't enforce that law. That's what happened. Uh, you know, it, it's what happened in, in a, a large city, which happens to be the capital of this state, which will go unmentioned. And uh, the chief of police there yep. was basically saying, no, we will not have civil unrest. We will enforce the law and was basically told to stand down on issues mm-hmm. that were that were quite dangerous to the citizenry, and yeah. and that kind of you know, uh, you know, undermined his uh, tenure there. And he, what a tremendous chief that guy was! What a tremendous loss to the city! Um, what a tremendous chief! And that's what happens when management in the city doesn't want you to do the thing that you're there right. to do. Right. Yeah. And the other part it did was it was a mass exit of, of the guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And of the, not the guys, but the, the, the both. 
When yeah. I say guys, all inclusive, you know, right. male and female. But yeah, I mean, as a result of that, you know, Richmond's, you know, still shorthand. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, in Richmond, if, you know, I remember we had, we went to a party one time. Uh, it's been a while back. I, I was drinking back then. So it's been 18 years and I drank. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while back. But anyhow, we thought we were like the badasses of the Tri Cities right, right. of Petersburg, you know. But we went, it was like a, uh, one of the guys I work with, his sister was married to a Richmond cop. Okay. So we were invited to that party. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of us kind of show up. Right. We're like, hey, you know, we're going to represent. Right. We got in there. We're like, bro, <laughs> these cats are the real deal. Oh, man. man. I, I mean, they were, I mean, it's crazy. I, I, I was like, holy smokes, man. These guys might, might, might you know, stomp us down, right. man. I've got, I've got <laughs> some, some cops that are Richmond cops who, um, who I uh, privilege to call them friends. Yeah. And those guys, uh, but they, they've taken it on the chin. I mean, you got shifts up there where, you know, you should have 12 units in an area and there's like three. And you're like, and I'm like, and then one goes on a 1096 somewhere to sit on yeah. that. And then it's like, now I got two guys covering the area that should have, you know, 10, 10 other more, units. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and so, <clears throat> you know, yeah, they, they've taken it on the chin. Huge morale issues there because yeah. of city management. and uh, And yet all the time, even under these conditions, these guys get up. Yep. They suit up. They get in that unit. Get back out there. And they get back out there. That's the part, man. Yeah, yeah. So it's something, man. But what I, what I was going to say was about you was, I mean, they lost a great teacher yeah. and a great role model for all these kids. I mean, I'm not slighting you. I mean, you're my son. But what I'm getting around to is, you know, nobody loves you more than me and your mom. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, you know, we're losing great people. Because you had, in, in your case, and you know, uh, the school board or the principal, whatever, either they were pressured or not allowed to back you. Right. So you'd yeah. have you'd have you know a kid that would would know would do something essentially was like a felony or something. Yeah. And, then, and then two weeks later, they're back at school. Right. Know? Right. right. And I'm not saying that you not necessarily with you, yeah. but it could be yeah. any. Well, kid. it could be you, teachers, school board members right. involved in things. Yep. And that's when things would start to change. But if it's just me on a regular day, yeah, breaking up a fight, and there, if there's drugs involved, you see the kids, yeah, right, back in ten days, yeah, and they're doing. And that's the other thing is, like you said, the laws are or the rules, the laws are there, but they're not favorited, right. especially if the parents say my kid should not be punished for this, right? They don't get punished for it, right? And the kids like catch on to it, right? A rule that's not enforced is not a rule. No, uh, a law that's not enforced is yeah. not a law. And, and citizens do the same thing. They take advantage of absolutely. whatever they can. I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, it seems like the presence of law enforcement on the highways has been less. Yes. And have you seen the <laughs> crazy stuff that people are doing on the highways now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I see people driving. My wife and I were having this conversation, and, you know, we were talking about some of these incidents, and I'm like, these people have lost their minds. They have, yeah. And it's like there's no accountability. Nope. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, it's, uh, it reminds me of a biblical passage that says that every man will turn to his own way and become a law unto himself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people have really. That's what's uh, done. They have. Yeah. Yeah. So the state police are down, like, I think, you know, uh, last I heard like 300 troopers. Yeah. So without yeah. them guys sure. out there on the interstate in particular, you'll see the, you see these things happen. So it, it goes back to this, you know, it's, it's this little funny story. Um, yeah, so in Petersburg, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I just want to say this story and then and kind of like sure. tie it into like sure. you know, do the, do the enforcement of the smallest rules make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, in this case, yeah, I've been a cop now in 15 years, whatever it was, 
and I got sent to uh, the same location where people were drinking in public. Mm-hmm. So what they wanted was, you know, they want summons is written, people arrested, all this kind of stuff. Of course, in Petersburg, I mean, a lot of other things are going down, you know, so yeah, I'm not really so worried about it. Right. So I pull up and I said, hey, um, do me a favor, man. They, they start to try to pull out, right. pour it out. I said, no, man, stop. I said, just put the stuff in a cup, dude. Right. I mean, this is, I can give you the, the best advice I can give you. Right. Pour it in a paper cup, plastic cup. I don't care what it is. Just get rid of the beer can or the bottle. Right. Right. And uh, they were like, damn, bro, you're pretty cool. You know? Right. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's a simple solution. You know? So while I'm doing that, a lady's walking down and she's walking a baby in a stroller. And she's like, you ain't got nothing better to fucking do. I'm right. like. I might like, mind your damn business, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> this is a one-way street. It's on Washington Street. It's one way, you know, You're right. east. And it uh, actually it was With Street, one way east. But anyway, uh, on the western part of the city. But anyway, the, the, the part of the story was so she's running her mouth, and I was like, you know, and the guy's like, hey man, you know, she don't know you. You know, you're pretty cool, right? I don't know why she's messing with you. I'm like, well, you know, that's what it is. So she actually throws a piece of paper down. That she's eating her lunch or something, right. she throws it down. I'm like, that's gonna cost you. Right. Now you're gonna get a ticket <laughs> right. for litter. Yeah, yeah. She takes you off. You can't put that in a paper yeah. cup. Right. <laughs> she, and I was gonna do it to show her. She takes yeah. off, and I never would have done it any other time. Yeah. Bob would have said pick it up, but right. she takes off running into a lady's house. So I figure it's her house. Right. right. So I go knock on the door. I said, Can you have your daughter come out? She's like, No, can you get this lady out of my freaking house? I don't know who the hell she is. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, You, get out of here. Right. I said, you just broke into a lady's house, yeah, essentially. Yeah, you're breaking and entering now. For now, for <laughs> yeah. littering. And she's like, I can't believe this is, you know, she's going off and all this stuff. I said, you're going to get a ticket for, for littering. Yeah. I mean, you're going to get a ticket because I said, I actually I told her the whole story. Yep. I mean, I love doing that stuff. Like, I actually told those guys to do this. You literally shouldn't have littered, but you could have just picked it up. Whatever, here's your ticket. Right. So while I'm doing that, this guy shows up. What you doing with my cousin down oh, no, there? No, no, <laughs> no. That's my niece or cousin. So I'm like, I was like, unless you want to be part of this, stay down there. Right. I'll be with you in a minute. I don't know why I'm telling the story, but it it goes back to the basics. So she goes off. She's pissed. And she she actually tears the summons up. I said, well, you better not throw that down. Yeah. Because I will arrest you. Write you you again. And I'm, well, I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to call CPS for your kid. Whoa. So, yeah. So she walks off. So now I said, come on down, sir. What you got? I said, what's your niece's name? Cousin, they don't know her name. Right, right, right. I said, so what's the problem, bro? What have you got to do with this? He's like, you ain't got nothing better to do than right. this. Kind of that. Guy. Yeah. I said, well, what would you have me do, sir? Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? Let's not enforce any of the, any of the laws. Right. I said, litter. I said, look at, the, look at the street right here. It's trash everywhere. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, what's one more piece? I said, what's one more piece is that, you know, if, if you didn't litter, this is your neighborhood. Why aren't you picking it up? Right. Anyway, and it went on and on. But, I mean, it all leads to one thing to the next. And what you just said about the interstate is so true. I mean, I was driving down the interstate today. And it, it, I'm going, you know, you got to go at least 10 miles, 11 miles over the speed limit. You do. Or you get run over. And somebody blows by me. And I know they're going over 90 or 100. Yep, yep. Easily yep, easy, going 90 yep. or 100. Because yep. I'm going to the speed limit 60 or 65. You know, and it's just, you know, it goes back to the basics of, you know, if rules are in place and force them, of course, you know, all, every officer has discretion, too. Right. And that's, know, that's the one magic you know, part about it. So. There, are you familiar with uh, Kohlberg uh, Moral Development? 
Kohlberg. Uh, this guy did this research on moral development. And mm. he basically said that people do the right thing. It's really six different stages that people develop through. Mm. But they're collapsible into three main stages. Okay. And the first stage is people do the right thing to avoid punishment. So you think about a small kid, right? Fair you enough, know, yeah. you know what? You, you, you can't do that or you get a, you know, you get a spanking. So they want to do the right thing to avoid the punishment. And then when they develop beyond that, they do the right thing in order to get a reward. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what? I, I'm going to come to work on time. Why? Because I want to get that paycheck. And so I want to keep my job. I, I want to be able to pay my bills. And so this is the, you do the right thing to get the reward. And then the, the, the ultimate stage of moral development is doing the right thing because it's the right thing. Right. And, and what happens is, is in a society that basically says you're your own authority, you don't have to mind anybody uh, you, you do what you want to do, yeah. and your feelings are the thing that you use to determine whether or not other people are right or wrong. You've hurt my feelings, you've triggered me, and therefore you're bad and I'm good. When they do that, they get stuck at doing the right thing only when it benefits them, and yeah. they they never get to the point where they're doing right because it's right. Yeah, they do, it, they do it, they, they're stuck. And what a shame, you know? Because, yeah. I mean, it is, and it's one of, one of the advantages of getting older, you kind of... You know, you you know, you obviously old. When I was a kid, I was like, man, my parents, you know, but you know, what did they really know? Did you become right. a parent? And my son's in his like the mid twenties, late twenties. I mean, I appreciate the fact that so many things I had to do all my life, particularly to provide for my family, you know, was because it was just the right thing to do. Do the right thing. Yeah. 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 And not every time, but you know, some right. of the time, most of the time, yeah. because how the hell will we function? But right. yeah, we're definitely missing that as a culture. But we're missing that as the ultimate authority is. You know, that's why, you know, God to me and, you know, my kids were, were we didn't go to church necessarily, but we, we knew they were raised as a God and we, we yes. love God and, you know, all these things that that's who we answer to. So without that, you know, humans aren't capable of, of setting a moral, you know, authority. Right. This is right. what you answer to. Right. So who does the king answer to? He answers to God. Right. Who does the chief of police answer to? Because right. some of these cats think they're gods. Right. Yeah. You answer to God, man. But, yeah. But, but when they don't, I mean, you got to go back. A whole collapse of an entire agency, you know. I don't. Want to go, I'm not going to rehash it on the podcast, but literally, you had a whole corrupt city and a corrupt administration. Yeah, millions of dollars gone. It's like, so what do you think is going to happen with the cops? I right. Mean, there's that moral. The morals are gone. Yeah. Right. From and, the top. And, yeah. From the and, top down. That, that's terrifying. Well, and it, it's kind of. I, I got into trouble. Um, I got into trouble in one department because I was in a meeting, and I said. Um, because they were talking about morale, and and one of these officers said, "Well, we got Dr. Greenberg here. Why is morale down?" As if it was somehow my fault. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I was like, what? you know, I'm like, well, I'm the psychologist. I'm seeing people when they're struggling. I'm not. That's I'm not the morale guy, you know. But um, but I said, you know, I said that's the thing about the word morale. The word morale and the word moral are the same word. And where you have bad morale, you have bad morals. Bingo. Yeah. 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 And and unfortunately what happens is is when when management when when people in our profession uh, when we bend the law, break the law, when we do things that are um are you know challenge the ethical you know requirements um we ha- it's it creates concentric circles of suffering. Yeah. And of the public, you know, seizes on that to excuse other negative behavior that they do. Um, I mean, how many times have you stopped somebody who said, I see you guys speeding all the time? That's right. 
You see, it's like, you know, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter that I was going to a call, but, you know, right. <laughs> um, but, you know, but so what happens is, is when you have people in higher positions who are bending the truth or who are bending of the ethics um, and have convenient ethics, um, the public is going to follow suit. Right. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate, but that's a fact. Yeah. I used to say, you know, and I mean... You know, you you can kind of judge a, a community, and not judge it right or wrong, but you can judge what you can do, what you're going to expect as a law enforcement officer for the amount of crime they'll tolerate. Yeah, you know what I mean. So what was tolerated in Petersburg would never be tolerated in like the you know Richie part of Henrico, right? Or something, oh, or Chesterfield. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's, it's part of that, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. If you were if you were in the the, the Richie area, you, you wouldn't have told them to put it in a cup. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of that now. Yeah. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, and or you know, yeah, it's 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 just crazy, but. Yeah, I mean, and it's not. It's never the easiest thing to do either. Doing no. the right thing. The right no. thing is not the Morally, easiest thing to do. Morally, it's never. Yeah, never the easiest way. No, it's not. And 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 you have to. There's a, there's a, a woman author who said uh, the greatest want of this world is the want of men who will not be bought or sold, hmm. who in their inmost souls are true and honest, who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Who will stand for right though the heavens yeah. fall, and whose characters are as true as a needle to the pole? Damn! Wow. The greatest one to the world. Who is that? You don't know. White. Oh. Uh, e. E. G. White. Wow. Was her name? Yeah. Yeah. Well, nowadays you're in trouble for telling the truth. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you can get in trouble, but you know, you you speak the truth. And uh, I, I love that poem by by Rudyard Kipling, where he says, "If uh, um, you know, if you can hear this, the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or see the things that you've given your life to broken, and stoop and build them up with worn out tools." Hmm. It's like you know, if you can do those things, um, is lovely, lovely poem. If um, Everybody should read that poem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I like that. All right. So um, I'm going to uh, ask you a couple questions. Sure. All right. So how long? All right, so you, I know you were in California. Yeah. And, and is that where your interest in, you know, you were there during the uh, the L.A. shootout, right? Yeah, I was. It was what, there. What and, was and, and it was in 97 in February. Yeah. It was in, it was in Hollywood. And uh, yeah, um, they robbed a couple guys, robbed the Bank of America. Yeah, and uh, shot it out with the police, and I was across the hill, um, and I was down Sepulveda Boulevard uh, at a Wells Fargo bank, debriefing some tellers who had been somewhat traumatized by the sting operation that the uh, FBI ran in their shop. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, they, they, it was really interesting because these tellers were in there, and one of the tellers was bad. And had gotten caught passing some phony checks with a boyfriend who was his his MO was he would hook up with these middle-aged women who were kind of lonely. He would find them and he would he was kind of suave and he would <clears throat> get them to fall in love with them and then he would go in and get them to do one bad check and then he would blackmail them to do more checks. That's right. And so <clears throat> they had caught her. And so the 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 bank was full of what appeared to be customers, 
but they were all FBI agents. Right. So when he and came he, in, when he yeah. came in, man, they they everybody's got machine guns, and and, wow. and the tellers were all freaked out because they couldn't tell them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I was debriefing them, and I was it was back in the day of the pagers, and uh, <clears throat> and my pager was going off nine one one nine one one, and I'm like, what in the heck are they doing? Because I'm, you know, this lady's crying, she's talking about being terrified, and I'm doing and being being buzz buzz buzz. Yeah, and yeah. So, so I called and I said, what do you want? And they said, well, turn a TV on. And I said, I didn't bring a TV with me to this debriefing. Yeah. And so I told, asked the office manager. We went into her office, turned the TV on, and they were shooting it out right over the hill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they were like, get down there. And I was like, man, I'm not going down there. They got automatic guns. I don't, you yeah. know, I'm carrying a 45. You know, what am I going to do? And so <clears throat> I went downtown. <laughs> I, I, you know, they shot the second guy and they had him down. And I, I headed down there and went down there and. If you look at the CNN footage, um, uh, you know, you look in about 30 minutes in, you see the guy, he's got his foot on the guy's neck. He's in front of like a white car, truck. And then you'll see a white Honda pull up about a block away and you'll see my bald head stick out. And uh, you'll see a very animated LAPD guy uh, telling me that I was not welcome in that area. But I carried San Bernardino's star at the time. You think Dinwiddie's large, San Bernardino, man, uh, twenty three thousand square miles. I right, so hang on, so, so yeah. you you were like you had a badge and you could carry yeah. a gun. So yeah. what, what was your? Well, <clears throat> I carried my badge said police psychologist. Okay, that's cool. And yeah. uh, I was not a sworn guy, um, but I carried that because that that gave me all the access. But I I had a, a private carry because um, I was being sent at you know two in the morning down yeah, yeah, to yeah. you know. So I mean I wasn't. Yeah, I didn't know if I was kind of segwayed. I was going to ask you, was that your intro? Did that introduce you? It was. I was originally headed to, um, you know, to a a career in research and academia uh, doing health psychology stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, I was going to, I was looking, I was in psychoneuroimmunology. I was studying to, you know, see how the brain, uh, you know, impacted the immune system and so forth. And I was doing all that work. Uh, and I was doing it with uh, one of my uh, mentors was a woman by the name of Dr. Nelson Canarella, Sandy. And she's the one who did the baby fake heart transplant. She was the immunologist who wow. did that. Oh, wow. um, so she was the immunologist for that. Uh, hmm, that's, still, that's amazing. Um, yeah, Dr. Bailey was the guy who did the surgery, but um, <clears throat> I believe. But, um, but yeah, so I was doing that and I was doing some work for a group called the counseling team. And that's to pay my bills. I had a couple kids at home. Right. My wife was at home, and I was working full time doing police psych work yeah. to pay the bills while I was in graduate school. Well, that's cool. So, yeah, but then it just became like a passion. It did. I, I, I saw officers. It, it was the three strikes rule in California came out just shortly before. Mm. It was, I think, 94. And I was at shootings every single week, mm-hmm. every week. It was like the it was like the wild west again. And it all started when they'd make that traffic stop, and the person would say these words, "I ain't going back." Yeah. And that was vernacular for draw. This is now a gun battle. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the third the three strikes you're out is that you're going to jail for life. Twenty years. It was twenty, 20 year years mandatory. No, no, there was no leeway in the sentencing. A uh, third felony, and you were, and so oh, yeah. you know, you're 50 years old, and you're going to get a 20 year sentence. You're yeah. just shoot it out. Death sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, it's dead. You're dead either way. Wow. I right, so then, then I guess you came back home. Yeah, uh, after, and, after yeah, ninety nine uh, and ninety eight. Uh, I came back. I actually went up to Maryland again um, to do my internship, and um, <clears throat> I was up in uh, uh, Spring Grove Hospital Center, uh, Shepherd Pratt Hospital, and Johns Hopkins again. Dang. And so I did my um, my 
my internship back up there, came back down to Virginia. Um, my family's all down here. My wife's family's down here. Uh, we don't have any family anymore, um, but uh, they were all down here. And um, uh, my my wife's family uh, lived in Richmond. She was she grew up hmm. uh, went uh, to Hermitage, and she you know grew up up there. Wow. So I met her at VCU. Okay. Um, and nice. I, yeah, that's where I met my wife. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I tell you. Um, I every time I return to VCU, I feel like I'm returning to the scene of a crime because I literally stole the crown jewel out of Richmond when I got her. Dang. When I married her, <laughs> I stole the crown jewel out of Richmond. I, I got her, and you guys didn't. And uh, That's she's, what I'm saying. she's the bomb. So this is the part where he's she's going to say, "Honey, I, hey, come here real quick. I got to show you this one part of the." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's what this is for. But uh, but no, yeah, she, no I'm she, with you, she, she 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 is she's the bomb and. Uh, um, and I was well, kind of weird because I, I got one too. Yeah, did you? Yeah, and I, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you got the bomb. But I got mine thirty four years ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so so VCU producing some bombs. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, I met my wife at Thomas Dale High School. Right, TD. I got the bomb, man. Thomas TD. Dale. Yeah. All right, so all right, so all right, so you're doing all this stuff. I know we go. We, maybe I have to start wrapping this down something sure. in a minute. But all right, so what year? So you you've been helping in the community. You said you came back here in '99, right? Yeah. So I came. So I was out there uh, doing police psych work, and then when I was up in Maryland, um, I worked for Doctor. Uh, part of my internship was at uh, uh, Shepherd Pratt Hospital in the forensic unit, the police psych unit. Wow. So under James McGee and uh, Deborah uh, Di Bernardo, and um, and so I did work up there. And if you know, if you James McGee is the guy who did the. Um, he's got that whole thing on classroom Avenger model. You can look it all up online. Hmm. He was my mentor there, and uh, he and uh, and Karen um, Di Bernardo. But um, <clears throat> but the um, then I came down down to uh, to Richmond uh, area, and what happens is is in order to get licensed in the state, you have to work underneath somebody who's licensed and right. get those hours. And so I took a post at uh, Central State Hospital right. um, and then opened up Greenberg and Associates and started providing services to a couple agencies in the area. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was at Central for five years and um, got all that training at the ILPPP, which is the Institute for Law, Public Policy, and Psychiatry at UVA so that I could be admitted to the courts as an expert in adjudicative competency, insanity, and custody. And, um, and so did that work, um, got, got recruited to go down to Greensville for a couple of years and work down there uh, as a chief psychologist. And um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Busy man. Yeah. Been around the block, man. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know, I, 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 I found that I wasn't as effective down there because, you know, yeah. the truth is, is that, you know, if, if you're, Doing time, you know, doing twenty years. The last guy you want to see show up is me, a police psychologist, because I'm just going to use cut that shit out therapy, really, and yeah. and I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be okay and hold your hand. But I tell you, if you had a real mental illness, uh, I'd go to the governor's office for you, even if you were, you know, in prison, uh, because you didn't ask for that. That's that's something that you know, yeah. and I'd, I'd I'd fight for people to to get services. Yeah. Um, but two years of that, and I was. <clears throat> um, you know, it was, um, it was time for me to go. I took a position teaching at the university over here and uh, maintained my practice throughout the entirety right. of that. So, you, uh, so Greenberg Associates is still, you know, you're still running that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got, uh, and we've got six, six therapists in there, and uh, we, we have, you know, clients as far east as, uh, uh, well, we do work all the way down to Isle of Wight. We do work out west up to... Uh, um, 
you know, Albemarle County, uh, as far north, uh, like our friends up at uh, George Mason University's mm-hmm. police psychology, police department in the um, city of Fairfax, and far south is uh, the border of North Carolina. Wow. So it's a big area. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're, I mean that's why we appreciate you coming in. I know you're a busy person. So um, a couple last questions. Sure. So you, what year did you go, and I'm going to name the academy, when you went to a regional academy around here? I did. What year was that? Uh, uh, so uh, that would have been in uh, 19. So I was uh, 55 when I was in there, and now I'm 60. So it was five years ago. Wow. Yeah. So is it true you were on double secret probation? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know we can't talk about that here. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. I was on, I was on triple secret probation. Yeah, triple secret probation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had lunch one time. We were just, you know, having fun. But yeah, I remember you said you were on uh, double secret. Probation, probation, yeah, from Animal well, House, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know that. I know that reference. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you were. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I went in, I went in, I went in at seven in the morning, uh, seven seven thirty in the morning. I left at five, and then I would go back to my office, and I would work until uh, nine, doing clients and seeing clients. And I did that for six months. Yeah, so for six months, you basically laid aside your business, which is a full time business essentially. And of course, you worked at night, but right. I mean, so that, but I had other people working, and then I would work. Yeah, um, but. but Six months, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the academy is six months. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I was there, but I wasn't your coordinator. And uh, But, I'm, I mean, you were obviously, you know, it says a lot for somebody, and this is no slight to other people, is with all the education experience you have to be able to, you know, and this is what the whole key is to life. And I, I've told my kids this forever. So you see me here as a totally different person. You've probably ever seen me outside yeah. of my home, right? I, I don't think, you know, in my profession – I see people for who they are. Right, right. And so I don't see as much of a difference in you. I, I see, uh, you know, there's a, there's a formula. It's uh, by Kurt Lewin. It's a behavior is a function of the person and the environment. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try and look past the environment to see the person. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, Because yeah. yeah. I, I played a role at the academy. You did. And, yeah. and, 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 and you know, and you, you played that role, you know, well. Um, but I, I still, I've never laughed as hard. As yeah. when you were my driving instructor. Bingo. And yeah. uh, I mean. I think I was showing you the course, the you, Urban Tactical. You, it was the Urban Tactical course. <laughs> and I was scalding the tires off that thing. Yeah. And and you were making, and I thought I would have you a little bit nervous, but you were over there making these like little like, like snide little comments as if nothing was happening. <laughs> and it was making me laugh so hard. Yeah. I'm like, get it, man. Get it. I know. That's right. I know. That's right. Yeah. You're like, you're like, I think I hit, I hit one of the, uh, the pilings and you were like, that, that citizen's dead. <laughs> we both were laughing the whole time. I know. I know. Cause still, it's supposed to be professional. Yeah. But we know each other prior to you guys already. Is this the first time y'all had really linked up since? No, no, we've, we've talked. We've, okay. we, we've had lunch together a couple yeah. of Yeah, just for fun. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and we just, you know, keep in touch with side street. But, I mean, you know, um, that well, was. Well, I find, you, I find that you have a wealth of knowledge and, and a, a, a passion that I think is well-placed, uh, Eric. Uh, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you, you know, you have a passion for, uh, for people and you have a passion. Uh, you know, you know, you know, a lot of people don't recognize their errors and they can't and when you don't recognize them you can't come to grips with them and you can't make amends and you can't fix them and and the one thing that I've always been impressed with you is that you've been able to call yourself on stuff and yeah. that to me is uh, that to me is safe that's a safe guy 
yeah. uh, because you can call yourself on your own mm-hmm. BS, and that to me uh, is is uh, it's a sign of character. Yeah, it, it yeah. It's, I mean, it's not easy being Eric. No, no, not, no, not no. junior. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no. but I mean, when not you came, into, I appreciate that. When you came into the academy, what, what I was going to say was, you know, um, I've always rate and I, people will. And I'm this is not about me, but in the academy, that role, or even as a cop, people may not always have a chance to see that humble part of you because it may not. The situation may not dictate or allow you to be that person. Right. But um, you know, um, I appreciate you coming into the academy and and you know, I won't say humbling yourself because I don't. I, we're all the same. Yeah. We're all human, but I mean, I don't think you came there thinking you were better than nobody. But the point I'm trying to make is, you still had to put aside your personal business, all these other things you were doing to, to get the certification, and then go through field training, and get out there, and not only that, but put your put your life on the line, you know. So you know, I appreciate that. So, real quick, so last thing, if if an officer's out there, you know, and and they think they're about here's the biggest problem because I've been there. I don't you know, if you ever. I mean, I, we talked about the last podcast, but. I mean, I had anxiety so bad out of high school, you know, almost like an agoraphobic. Yeah. So I had to learn how to, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and all this stuff. But um, anyway, for me, the isolation, even as a cop, when I sued the city, that that's what took me down, mm-hmm. you know, made me more depressed. So, or made me depressed. So you got these guys out there. What, what would you recommend they do? I mean, obviously reach out for help, you know, through, through peer support. But, I mean, what is it that at the very end that you think takes these guys – and you know, I don't. This may not be a question you can answer because it might take forever. But what 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 is what is it you would say to an officer who's struggling? Right. So, um, I'd say first of all, admit you're struggling a little bit. Um, you know, don't don't just uh, you know uh, rub dirt on it and move on. Um, you know, talk with somebody about it and find somebody who you trust. And I know that that's tough. That's tough these days. Um, you know, people are full of their own self-interest, and um, you know. But find somebody who you can trust, and if you, if you, I find that the thirty 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 rule is pretty much um, it's it's pretty consistent. Thirty percent of officers who have a rough time want to talk with someone like me, okay. and and I'm available. Thirty uh, percent want to talk with the chaplain, their priest, the rabbi, a pastor, um, and they're available. And thirty percent want to talk with a peer. Um, but you know that, that's that's ninety. Yeah, what about the other ten percent? Yeah, well, that's the deal. And uh, you know, when my wife, who was not happy with me, you know, setting aside everything and going through the academy, <laughs> she she asked me, you know, she yeah, she was she was I can only she, imagine. Yeah, she was she was pretty upset with me about that, <laughs> and still is. Um, but um, but she understands it now. <laughs> she understands it. Uh, yeah. I gotta get you started. Yeah, yeah, don't, 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 don't even, man. <laughs> don't even. But, but the truth of the matter is, is the ten percent. Yeah. Uh, the ten percent was the reason why I went through the academy because they would talk with the peer if they thought the peer knew any more about it than they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's big, yeah that's big, so man. now what happens is, is I can become a peer that does, yeah. right. and um, and it was also my commitment to peer support. Uh, I'm the president of the Virginia Peer Support Association, and I, I believe that um, that good peer support programs, um, which you know, which 
I myself or the or BAPS of the Virginia Peer Support Association would be excited to help any officer develop one in their department. And we've got a particular method for doing it. I sat on IACP's uh, council to review the um, policies for peer support. Uh, I think it was in 09 and then 013 and then 13. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so I'm, I've sat on those, I've seen those policies, I've massaged them myself. I understand them. We developed training based yeah. on all that. Um, we'd be happy to help departments develop those peer support programs, healthy peer support programs. Those are extremely critical for officer wellness and departments. And so I believe that, look, I was asked a few years back um, by um, the president of the FOP for Virginia to come and talk at their annual dinner up in Northern Virginia. And one of the things I said is I said that, you know, we needed to rebuild the thin blue line. Uh, the thin blue line has been really tattered and, and people believe that the thin blue line is something that officers hide, uh, you know, mischievous behavior behind right. when the yeah. truth of the matter is, is all it does is it protects the public from that stuff that they don't want to see. And I think that, you know, if we're going to be back here together, we can support each other. But if you don't have that, we're not going to be in a position to really support each other the way that we need to. Right. And and quite honestly, you know, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said it. He must have. He said everything else. Um, And that is we're going to either hang together or we're going to hang separately. Let's hang together. Let's hang together. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Let's go down together. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think that's a good ending point. So, man, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, brother. no, my, my great pleasure. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, I guess that's, that wraps up episode five. Yeah, yeah. and I was going to say, I've never met you before, but yeah. I was, I feel humble sitting here and man well, of I'm, I'm many humble, words. I'm humble, humble to be here with you guys, uh, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah, we hope the message gets out, you know, and, and just to let, just so you'll know, I mean, we're following up. We've got people coming on that... Um, some some uh, a guy who started a nonprofit here in Virginia. He's a Thomasdale graduate, VMI um, graduate. But anyhow, um, several people coming by that who suffer from PTSD, mm. military and police officers are going to share their story, and then we're just kind of building this thing where we yeah. want this information to be out there. So if, if before we leave though, or be, you know, before we wrap this up, not on the air, is make sure you give Eric all your stuff. Sure, and he'll tell you um, you do your bit right now. Oh yeah, no, I was just gonna. Say follow us on On the Hill, on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you listen to podcasts, on Spotify Music, or Spotify or Apple Music, and this will be live on YouTube. And, nice. Um, it's every other Every Monday. other Monday, but... So on there, we'll have your information sure. if you want to put it out there. Sure. Yeah, people can, or people can find me at www.copdr.com, copdoctor.com. That's Perfect. Right. And we'll link all that below. So sure, absolutely. People can access you. Yeah. All right, man. We well, appreciate it, brother. Thanks, yeah. man. Thanks, thanks again. Yeah, thanks. So, smells like your wife's cooking something. What are we having for dinner? Grilled and, <laughs> grilled and chill. <laughs> he doesn't even know. Grilled, yeah. 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 yeah, grilled and chill, bro. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See well, you guys. Thanks, thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Next time. All right, peace. High atop the hill. <laughs>